Hello again. This is Pastor Brian, campus pastor at Mount Hope's Belmont campus. It's great to talk to you again. This week, we continue our series, Ancient Families, Modern Problems, and we're talking this week about marriage. There's a conversation happening in our culture right now where some would say that marriage is not worth it, that marriage and commitment and obligation are actually, in some ways, the enemy of deep love, which is romantic love. Now, if you read through the Bible at all, you'll see that the Bible really upholds marriage as a valuable relationship and something we should pursue. So which one is it? Is it the way our world is going, which would say marriage is not necessary, or is it what the Bible says, that marriage is a good thing that ought to be pursued? We talk about that in this sermon, and so I hope you listen, I hope you enjoy it, because I believe that God has something he wants to say to you. If you were with us last week, you know we started a new sermon series. Pastor Rick was here last week and started us on a new sermon series we're calling Ancient Families, Modern Problems. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of the family relationships that are in the Bible. And one thing that we're going to discover is that even though the world has changed uh, and we're connected more than we've ever been before and life looks very different, the challenges that we face uh, really never change over time. At the world has not changed that much when it comes to relationship challenges and interpersonal challenges. And so we're going to be talking about that. And the thing we said last week and mentioned again as we started our service today is the good news uh, out of the reality that all of us come from flawed families, and we have flawed families right now. If you come from a perfect family or uh, you have a perfect family, either, uh, well, you're lying to yourself. So you, all of us come from flawed families. And we have flawed families, but the good news is, the good news of the gospel is, that when God looks to work in and through people, he's not looking for flawless people. There's only one, and that was Jesus Christ. He's looking for faithful people. Who will be faithful? Who will move in faith? And God will work through those folks. And so we looked at a chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11, last week, and talked a little bit about that. If you missed it last week, I'd encourage you to go to the website uh, and take a listen, because it really sets up what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. This morning we're going to be talking about uh, one of the big relationships that many of us face. We're going to be talking about marriage. And you may say to me, you know, maybe you're in this room and you're married. You may be in this room and say, uh, you know, Pastor, I'm not married right now. Um, or I'm not married right now and I hope to be. Or I'm not married right now. I was and I'm not looking to be again. Uh, all of us are in different places. Here's the truth is our culture has a lot to say about marriage, and it shapes the way we think about it. And so whether you're married right now in this moment, I believe God's word has something to say to all of us, because the conversation around marriage and the relationship of marriage is ongoing in our world all the time. And we hear many different opinions about what marriage is and what it should be. And so whether we're in that relationship or not, I believe that God has something to say to us this morning. So I'd encourage you to stick with us uh, even if that's not your current situation today. But let me ask you this. If any of you have ever been in a long-term committed relationship, maybe you were dating someone for a long time, uh, and, or you were married to somebody, or you are married to somebody, have you ever had an experience, I don't know if this has happened to you, I'll admit it's happened to me, have you ever had an experience where the, you didn't in a moment feel the deep, passionate, romantic love for that person that you had at one time felt. Do you know what I'm saying? 
So you're in a long-term relationship, and of course when that relationship begins, there's butterflies in your stomach, and you always think about that person, and you always want to talk to that person. But as that relationship continues, you have a moment, you have a moment in that relationship where that feeling, that emotion, just isn't there in that moment. Have you ever had that experience? Just a few days ago on Wednesday morning, I woke up, and uh, you know, me and my wife, Lori, and we have two kids, a five-year-old and a three-year-old, my daughter, Caitlin, and my son, Jackson, we're all up bright and early. Jackson and Caitlin make sure of that. And so we're all up on Wednesday morning, and my wife had said to me, she said to me, at, uh, um, a fence guy is going to come, because we're getting an estimate on some fencing we would like to put up in our yard. A fence guy is going to come between seven and eight in the morning. And so I said to the Lord, I said, God, if you love me, uh, if this is all true, then this guy will come more like at 8 o'clock than at 7 o'clock. If, if you love me, this will happen. So sure enough, at 6.55, the doorbell rang, and there was the fence guy. And so I'm still, you know, my, I had just gotten out of the shower, thrown on some clothes, and the fence guy is there at 6.55. It's rainy. I don't know, Wednesday morning was like rainy and cold, and so we're out there walking in the grass, and my pants and shoes are getting soaked, uh, talking about fencing options at 6.55 in the morning. And so we walk through the yard, and I come back inside, and the rest of my family is gathered around a big cardboard box uh, for months. This has been a, a, a long search. We have been searching for the perfect bench. Okay, when I say we, I, I say we like I'm a part of the family. Hasn't so much been my search, but this has been a big thing. We need the perfect bench for our house. And we had found the perfect bench after months of searching. And it was on Etsy, and, and a guy made it for us somewhere, and it got shipped to our house. And so now was the unveiling of the cardboard box. I come in from my time with the fence guy, and uh, you know, I walk into the house, and we are unveiling the bench. We cut open the cardboard box and to find that the bench looks it's beautiful except for one corner of the bench, which has been smashed to pieces during shipping. And so there is uh, much disappointment over the broken corner of the bench. While this is all going on, my daughter informs us uh, that the cable box, for some reason, is no longer working. For some reason that I'm not really privy to, many cords had been switched, apparently, and we could not get the cable box to work. So now I've spent my time with the fence guy. We've still got to get to work and to school. Uh, we've discovered that the bench has been shattered uh, in the corner, and now the cable box won't work. And this is something I cannot leave alone to the rest of the day. I want to know now why the cable box doesn't work. So I'm testing the cables, and I'm testing the television, and I'm testing the box, and I'm taking it to a different television and trying to figure out why this thing isn't working. And then we're just in a flurry, getting the kids dressed and getting everybody out of the house. And my wife worked at home that day, and so we're all out of the house. We get to school. I sit down. I'm in a meeting. And about 15 minutes into the meeting, my cell phone rings, and I look down, and it says, Lori on my cell phone. And she knew I had a meeting, so I knew if she was calling, this was something important. I, I, op I answered the call. I said, hello. She said, there's a bird in our fireplace. <laughs> I said, what do you mean there's a bird in our fireplace? There's a bird in our fireplace, and it is sitting on the logs, and it keeps flying into the glass. What do I do? Now, let me tell you. At that point, neither one of us felt the compulsion just the, 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 uh, just the desire to talk into the phone and to say to one another, honey, at this moment, I just want to express to you how deeply 
I love you, and how overcome I am with emotion. Your voice is the most beautiful voice I have ever heard. It just doesn't happen because all of us have this experience, right, in our relationships. Where we love somebody, yes, but life happens and relationship things happen, and we have this experience where that romantic piece goes away and fades over time. And now here's something that we believe in our world, okay? This is something that we believe in our world. We believe that the deepest form of love that we can experience, all of us want to experience deep love. All of us want to experience a deep relationship. We believe that the deepest form of love that we can experience is romantic love. It's the way that it is expressed in movies. It's the way that it's expressed in books that we believe that this is true, that the deepest love that we will experience in life is romantic love love. And we believe that that's true, and so we pursue that. And in our world, I think that this is what we hear, that people want to experience this emotion, what it feels like to be passionately in love with someone and have somebody return that desire. That is a good thing. It's a good experience. We like that. And we believe that that's the deepest form of Love And what we want to do with our lives, what gets promoted in our world, is that we need to figure out another person that we can share this emotion with, that we can have this romantic love with, and that over time, all we do is try to maintain that. And if that goes away, then the relationship, too, goes away. And so you'll hear someone say something like, you know, we're in love and we love each other and we're pursuing this relationship. The last thing we want to do is ruin it with a piece of paper. Because if you put the piece of paper in there uh, and romantic love fades, it makes it much more difficult to end the relationship. And we believe that romantic love is the height of love. And when that begins to fade, as it will over time, we need to be able to have a way to move on from that relationship and go find a different one that will give us the deep love we're looking for. It's no secret, right, that people are getting married less today than they used to that our culture as a whole is moving away from marriage, that people wait longer to get married or people don't get married at all. And I think the reason that that is happening, a big reason that's happening, is because we look at marriage and we see marriage as, as combining two things. And one of them we're happy with. So marriage, it combines romantic love, and that we're very happy with. Everyone's happy with the fact that marriage includes romantic love. But marriage includes another piece that really doesn't sit well with us. Marriage includes obligation. Marriage includes legality. Marriage includes duty. And in our hearts and in our thought process, that doesn't really sound that great. And we're talking about what the best form of love is, deepest love. You have the romance. You have the whirlwind. You have being swept off your feet. You have the butterflies in your stomach. That is the deepest sense of love we think that we could experience. But what marriage brings is marriage brings into all of that a sense of obligation and commitment that for one reason or another just doesn't sit that well with us. And so what many of us do is we end up avoiding marriage or we end up suffering through marriage, or we end up ending our marriages because we believe that romantic love is this deepest form of love. And when it goes away, when it goes away, we need to be able to move on. 
you know, we're talking about ancient uh, families, and the reality is that this mindset, this mindset that leads us to try and stay away from marriage, the mindset that romantic love is the deepest love we can experience, and the last thing we want to do is mess that up with obligation and commitment and legalities, uh, is not a new idea. In fact, it was an idea, that an, uh, a thought process that people very close to Jesus had. And we're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. Watch what happens here. As Jesus talks about marriage with some of his followers, listen to what his followers say. Not just some of his followers, his closest followers, his disciples. Listen to what they say to Jesus when he talks to them about marriage. This is what Matthew chapter 19 says, verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Well, then they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now listen to what the disciples say. So this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, your marriage, getting married, involves significant commitment. And the people said to him, well, can't we just leave whenever we want? And he says, no, you can't just leave wherever you want. And they said, well, Moses let us do that. Moses let us leave whenever we wanted. And Jesus said, well, that wasn't a perfect solution. Moses allowed for that because you just did what you wanted to and your hearts were hard. But that's not the, that's not what the ideal that God calls us to. You should be in this committed relationship and stick it out. So look what Jesus' closest followers say to him in response to that, his disciples. His disciples say in verse 10, the disciples said to Jesus, if such is the case, if this is the deal, Jesus, of a man with his wife, it is better not to what? Marry. It's better not to marry. So Jesus, if this is what you're telling us, that, that this is what marriage looks like, that uh, man and wife, they leave and they hold fast to one another, this is the words that are used, and the two become one, and when we're, we're tired of that, we can't just walk away from it. If that's what you're telling us, uh, then we think it's better not to marry at all. And what we see in this passage is I think the disciples had a very similar view of the relationship that many of us have in our world today. Like the last thing we want to do is lock ourselves into this commitment and, and legal situation if it's not going to be easy to get out of. And if we're going to put ourselves in that situation, then we just have to deal with the reality that romantic love fades over our time, and if we're not going to get out of it, we just got to slog through this thing and just try to make it to the end. It's not going to be fun, and it's not going to be easy, but we'll just get there eventually. I think that the attitude that they had then is the same attitude that we have now. And it comes out of this, this idea that we're more used to in relationships. What we're used to is we're used to consumer-based relationships, aren't we? And here's what happens in a consumer-based relationship. In a consumer-based relationship, the needs of the individual always trump the relationship. 
In a consumer-based relationship, the needs of the individual always trump the relationship. Let me tell you what I mean by that. This is how most of our relationships work. Most of our friendships, most of our relationships are based on a contract model. So I pay a website a certain amount of money a year, and because I pay them that money, I get access to certain lines of products other people don't get access to, and I get free two-day shipping to my house all the time. So I pay that money. That's the contract. I pay that money annually. They give me free two-day shipping, and I get access to products other people don't have access to. And as long as I pay the money, they'll provide me with that service. Now, if I stop paying the money, if I say that's too much money for me to pay, then I can walk away from the agreement. And if the company says to me, we're not going to provide you those services anymore for that amount of money, they can walk away from the agreement. And that's what we're used to. I make friends with someone, and I am friends with them as long as they provide me with a certain level of friendship, and they provide me with a certain feeling, and I provide them the same, and that's mutually beneficial for us. As long as that is the case, then our relationship stays together. When one of us runs a relationship deficit, all of a sudden we just don't return those texts or we don't return those calls anymore. And we've all had that experience. We've probably been on both ends of that. Because when we start to run the deficit, that's, that's it. We're, we're consumer-based people. Uh, we go to stores as long as they serve our needs at the right price, and if the price gets too high or they no longer serve our needs, then we'll go to a different store. It's the same way in our relationships. We enter a relationship at a certain cost to us for a certain benefit. If the benefit isn't there or the cost is too high, we'll leave that relationship and we'll just go find another one. That's how we're used to working. And it's the, a similar mindset to what the disciples are talking about. Is it okay, Jesus, if when we're displeased in our marriages, if we just walk away? And Jesus says, no. And they're like, well, then maybe we shouldn't do it at all. And that's right where many of us find ourselves. Now, clearly, Jesus has a different perspective here. Jesus is talking about this relationship as a good thing. And in fact, Jesus is not the only one who uses these words about marriage. If you were to flip back in your Bible... To the very beginning, God creates Adam and God creates Eve. And then he uses two words that he hasn't used through the entire creation narrative. He has created things and called them good. But once both Adam and Eve are created together, God looks at that and he calls it very good. And then he says these words in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24. They're the same words that Jesus uses in Matthew 19. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It's the exact perspective on marriage that Jesus has a couple thousand years later. And then another really important man by the name of Paul, who is a really important follower of Jesus, who wrote over half the New Testament that we're using today. In Ephesians chapter 5, it's a letter that he wrote to a church in a city of Ephesus. He says the same thing. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. One flesh. And what we see in the Bible throughout the whole story from the very beginning until Jesus and then even after Jesus' time teaching is that this is what is upheld as the right way to think about that relationship. That there are two actions that need to take place in marriage. It's important for us to realize the Bible upholds marriage as a very good thing, not a negative thing. Not something we have to just get through, but something that is a gift from God. 
And in order for us to experience marriage at the level of which God intends, there's two things that we have to do. There's two actions that have to take place. The first one that you see there begins with the letter L. What is it? What's the first action that we would have to do? Leave, right? It's the same word all three times. As the man shall leave his father and mother. That word, I think it's important for us to recognize, has a lot less to do with proximity and a lot more to do with priorities. So it's not necessarily that, that the husband has to pack up and go halfway across the known world to get away from his family. But there is a priority implication in that word. That one spouse has to say to the other spouse, as we get married, you are now the most important thing in my life. My other friendships, my other relationships, my family, my hobbies, my wants, my desires, all of those take a back seat now to you. You are my number one priority. And one spouse says that to the other, and the other spouse returns that. That's what we're doing in those vows we say in the wedding ceremony, is we are committing to one another, you are now my biggest priority. I am leaving everything else behind. All my other priorities are secondary now. You now are my greatest priority priority. And so the first thing we have to do is leave. The second thing, what, is it, what does he say that we have to do? What's the second action that we have to take? Hold fast. Now in the old English, if you went to a wedding ceremony this afternoon, you would maybe hear these verses and there would be a different word that would be there. It's just that word leave with the letter C in front of it. It's not a word that we use that often anymore. But often you'll hear the word cleave there. That you would leave and cleave. We don't really say that too much anymore. But so hold fast is here. What does that mean? Well, quite simply, in the first sense, we have priorities. We say, okay, you're going to be my biggest priority. And in this second action, what we do is that we continue to desire our spouse. So we continue to desire the other person. That word cleave, it literally means to glue something together. And you say, do we really cleave anymore in our world? You do probably if you're like me. I'll tell you what I cleave to, which is a good picture of cleaving. Here's what I cleave to right here. It is always on me. We're stuck together like glue, and I check it way too much. This is my confession time, okay? But I, we cleave to these things, many of us, in our world. And that's the picture that we're getting when it comes to marriage, that we would be glued together to one another, that we would not only put each other as number one priority, but our desire and our passion would be directed towards that other person, that we would leave and cleave and that the two then would become one. What we think should happen is that we should come together with great desire and passion, but that the two should, should stay two. That the two should come together, but they should kind of hedge their bets a little bit. Not combine the money, not combine everything. Just kind of keep things separately so that the two stay two. Because to give up our individuality, to throw ourselves into the relationship, to give up our dependence on ourselves and put our dependence on the other person would be a bad thing. That's how we think. But scripture calls us to something different. The Bible calls us to something different. That we would take everything that we have and give it to the other person so that there is now deep love, deep romantic love, combined with deep commitment. And the word here is not a consumer-based relationship. The word here is a covenant-based relationship. And this looks very different than the kind of relationships we're used to. 
Consumer relationships say, listen, I'll be with you as long as my needs are met. A covenant relationship prioritizes the relationship itself above the individual needs. So now the fact that I am married and I, my spouse is the person I am committed to, that supersedes all my individual wants and needs. Those things now are second. I prioritize my spouse above everything. I hold fast to my spouse above everything. And my needs or wants become secondary. And when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to combine love and the legal side, when we're willing to combine desire and duty, when we're willing to combine romantic love with obligation, there is a deeper love that forms that goes far beyond anything we could ever experience running around and chasing an emotion and butterflies in our stomachs. The problem is we don't really believe that that's true in the way that we live. See, we don't think about this in terms of marriage for some reason, but we do think about this way in terms of other relationships. For instance, we would never laud the parent. We would never hold up the parent as making a great decision. If I came to my three- and five-year-old children and I said to them, listen, I feel like I'm putting way more into this relationship than you are. <laughs> Let's be honest. In the five years you've been alive, in the three years you've been alive, Lori and I, my wife and I, who, by the way, is in the building. She's downstairs helping with the kids. I didn't want to, I was nervous. I preach on marriage and she's not in the room, but she's here. <laughs> if we went to our children, we said, listen, for the last five years and the last three years, we have put way more in this relationship than you have. We bought all the food. We bought all the clothes. We, we, we housed everybody. We did all of the work. And so here's the deal. You're not meeting our needs at all. We have deep emotional, relational needs that you're just not meeting. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sever this relationship right now. And you guys go your way and we'll go our way. We would look down on that. In fact, we do look down on that in this culture. That maintains a stigma to it. And what God is calling us to is a similar thing in our relationships, that this is a good thing. That we would have the kind of love between each other. That we would say, even in the moments where my individual needs are not being met, that I will stay and do the hard work and fulfill my commitment and show love to the other person. That that's actually a deeper form of love than anything we could experience just running and chasing a romantic feeling. I'm so happy and thankful that Jesus Christ did not allow his relationship with us to be dictated by his emotions and his feelings. The night before he went to the cross, Jesus, we find Jesus in a garden, and he's talking to the Father. He's talking to his Father, and he's saying to him, God, listen, I know that I'm supposed to die tomorrow for, the, for everybody. I know I'm going to the cross. But if there is any other way to do this, I don't want to do it this way. It will be painful and it will be difficult. Let's do it any other way. And then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. So, okay, the obligation of the relationship I have to you as my father and to these who are our creation and our people 
that duty, that obligation is going to supersede my own wants and my own desires. He's explicit with his own wants and his own desires. His desire is to get this done any other way, but it's not possible. And so it's not love, romantic love, that takes Jesus to the cross. It's not because he thinks you're so unbelievable that he just had to go to the cross for us. It's the duty and the obligation, the commitment to say it will be worth it, the relationship will be worth it. It's the duty that takes Jesus to the cross. It's the obligation that keeps him on the cross. And that is a deeper level of love for you and for me than we ever could have experienced otherwise. And God defines his relationship with you as a covenant, that he loves you no matter what, no matter what you do and no matter where you go, he loves you. And we follow God no matter what. And it's the same way in our relationships, that that is actually a deeper form of love and a deeper beauty and a deeper experience. Being with someone where we say, I'm going to love you and desire you and passionately pursue you, but even when that feeling is not there, I am going to be committed to you no matter what. In thinking about this, series. One of the books I've been reading is by a pastor and teacher named Tim Keller. He wrote a book a few years ago called The Meaning of Marriage. And in that book, he pointed me to an article that appeared in the New York Times in 2010. It was by one of the, the Times columnists named Wendy Plump. And she wrote this very honest column that was somewhat controversial when she posted it. It's called A Yearful a room full of regret, of yearning and regret. And in this article, this is what she talks about. She talks about her 17-year-long marriage that had recently ended. And she talks about the fact that when her husband and her got married, that they were deeply and passionately in love, but of course that faded over time because it always will fade eventually. And so both of them went searching for the romantic feeling someplace else. She had an affair and cheated on him. It was found out. They came back together. They reconciled. And then a number of years later, he had an affair and cheated on her. And after 17 years, the marriage just couldn't be saved. And her reflection, what she says in her reflection, is she says, what I'm realizing now is that there is something much deeper and much greater, much more beautiful about a long-term committed relationship than there is about the chase after passion and desire. This is what she writes. I look at my parents and how much simpler their lives are at the ages of 75, mostly because they haven't marred the landscape with grand-scale deceit. They have this marriage of some 50 years behind them, and it is a monument to success. A few weeks or months of illicit passion could not hold a candle to it. If you were 75, which would you rather have? Years of steady, if occasionally stained, devotion or something that looks a little bit like the Iraq city of Fallujah, cratered with spent artillery. See, what Wendy Plump realized is something that God has told us a long time ago. That the deepest form of love that you and I will experience in our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouses combines both desire and duty. Combines both law 
and love. Combines great passion with great commitment. And so what's the lesson for us this morning? Well, the lesson for us is if we're in a marriage, we need to evaluate where we're at. We need to ask ourselves, are we doing what God has asked us to do? Am I prioritizing my spouse above everything else in my life? Am I leaving the other things that God has called me to leave and prioritizing my spouse the way that I am called to? Am I holding fast to my spouse? Am I, am I glued to my spouse and my desires and my passions and what, I'm, and what I'm pursuing? Is my spouse a part of that? Is the, my spouse the object of my desire? Is God first in my life and my spouse second? Is that the position that my spouse takes in my life? Or have my needs and my wants and my desires in my own heart trumped the needs of my spouse? The second thing, the second lesson that I think is here for us is that some of us are in relationships right now, some of us are in marriages right now where it is not easy, where it is hard. And listen, the Bible does create a couple spaces where ending that relationship is considered okay in God's eyes, but that is the exception and not the rule. That is a very difficult thing and not an easy thing. And so by God's grace, I would pray for you this morning that you would be willing to listen to what God is saying and that you would be willing to stay in that place and do what it is that God is calling you to do even though it's not easy. To be willing to allow the obligation and the commitment side to maintain your relationship. Because if you do, and you do it faithfully as God has called you to, I believe that God at a point will allow love to return. It's the other thing I want us to realize this morning. We've said it a few times, our God is a God of grace and none of us are perfect and none of us are flawless. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you're feeling very guilty of past decisions you made, I want you to know that God will forgive you and God has grace and mercy for you. And just because it's gone wrong in the past does not mean it has to go wrong in the present and in the future. That if you'll trust God and honor him in the way that you pursue these relationships, that the grace and the mercy of God will be present. I'm going to invite our worship team up as we close this morning. And as we do, I just invite you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes with me for a moment. You know, some of us are married in this room and some of us aren't, but all of us hear this conversation happening in our world. This conversation that would say marriage isn't worth it. The conversation that would say a piece of paper just ruins love. The conversation that would say uh, that we need to avoid this thing or it's difficult. That it's not worth it. And this morning, whether you're in a marriage or not, I pray that you would be encouraged by the truth that God gives us. That he loves us with a deep and passionate love that is also bound by commitment. That he is the God who keeps his covenant with his people no matter what. And that he calls us the same to do, to do us the same, to, for us to do the same in our marriages. And if we will, we will experience a level of love that we will never experience otherwise.
thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.